I want you to need to know today. Well, I've got a great book out that I want you to know about. It's called Flame Thrower. Right, what is Flame Thrower all about? Well, we have the author on the hotline, Brian Mark Rigg, who's also a PhD. And how are we doing today, there, Brian? We're doing good. Doing good, Tommy. Thanks for having me on your show. All right, uh, my pleasure. Now, this is the uh, biography of Woody Williams, who is the last. World War II Medal of Honor recipient who will soon lie in honor at the U.S. Capitol. Uh, so tell us, what, uh, why is the Medal of Honor uh, so important? Well, you know, it's the highest award uh, our military has for valor. Mm-hmm. And very few people get it. To put it into context, in World War II, there were 669,100 Marines, and only 82 got the Medal of Honor. Um, over 50 got it posthumously. They died doing the act uh, to get them the war, like jumping on grenades to protect their buddies and so on. So when somebody wears them, and and, and out of those, uh, you know, 700, almost 700,000 Marines, only, like I said, 82 got it. Mm -hmm. And so it is a very prestigious award. Very few people get it. So that Woody Williams. Yeah, what did he do to get it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what he did, well, yeah, you know, yeah. not only that he survived, but he mm-hmm. lived until he was 98 is just truly remarkable. What he did is, um, yeah. you know, you have to go beyond the call of duty uh, to get this medal. And he, uh, on Iwo Jima on the 23rd of February, he was asked by his company commander if he could help punch through a heavily defended Japanese line of bunkers and infantry. Mm-hmm. Uh, bunkers with machine guns and infantry, and he said, "I'll do what I can." Uh, and he used a flamethrower to take out several of these uh, bunkers and kill many of the Japanese, and was able to punch through the line. And they had been decimated that day. I mean, his platoon had gone down from around 50, 60 guys down to 19. Wow. Uh, and they just didn't know what 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 they they could do to kind of you know uh, save the situation and stop being hammered mm-hmm. uh, by the Japanese. And so Woody was able to push the line forward several hundred yards. Mm-hmm. He probably saved many lives that day by his courage. And going into battle with a flamethrower, a portable flamethrower, people really don't know about this weapon. It was. Uh, two like scuba tanks on the back that had uh, four and a half gallons of diesel and high octane aviation fuel. And mm-hmm. then there was a third tank with compressed nitrogen. And then you had a wand and it could spray about 20 to 30 yards out in front of you, a uh, flame that was 3,500 degree heat. Mm-hmm. And the battle signature was really um, strong on the, on the, on the field of battle because you had a black cloud following you. So, you know, Japanese would throw mortars in. So for him going into battle with this hundred pounds of gear to take out these bunkers that you could only really take out by pouring flame into them, you couldn't really shoot the guys. You couldn't blow them up because the apertures were so small that they were shooting out from mm-hmm. was an amazing feat that Woody uh, accomplished that day. And that got the attention of his commander. And then before you knew it, a few months later, president Truman was tying the medal of honor around his neck. And he got to, and he got to live to tell about it because that's a very dangerous thing he did. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the life expectancy, you know, depending on what research reports you, you have gone over in the archives, but the life expectancy mm-hmm. of a flamethrower operator in battle 
was, you know, summed up by minutes, mm-hmm. not by days. Yeah. Uh, so that he survived 34 out of the 36-day battle uh, on Iwo Jima fighting is really remarkable. Yeah, really, it really is. And uh, so you decided, you heard about this story, and you decided, let me write about this man's uh, life and story and history and, and all of that. Is, is that what motivated you to write the book? Yeah, you know, I, I, I some, 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 uh, somewhat uh, similar to, to what you just described mm-hmm. um, did happen to me. So in 2015, I went to the 70th commemoration of the Battle of Iwo Jima, and I actually flew to Guam and Iwo Jima and walked the battlefield mm-hmm. uh, there. And I actually was with Woody Williams on this uh, trip. Oh, there was okay. over 30 veterans with us at that time. And when I learn about B. Williams and that he had never written up his story and nobody had ever written it up. I mm-hmm. thought it would be a very interesting uh, historical challenge to take his life and use it to tell the larger story of amphibious warfare, the Pacific War, the atomic bombs, and so on. So I bounced back and forth between the you know tactical, operational, and strategic level of the, the war using Woody's life to help tell that story and mm-hmm. using his company, it's kind of like the Band of Brothers for the Marine Corps, mm-hmm. using his company to kind of flow through the time of World War II to tell us what was going on. So that was the genesis uh, of it. It was just that random meeting on Iwo Jima with him and learning about his story and thinking, you know what, I'm a Marine. He's a Marine. I'd like to do something for my Marine Corps history. I'm a World War II historian, mm-hmm. and here is a story to tell to once again commemorate these brave men that went into battle for us to defend our freedoms, but also to tell the larger history of why we were there and why it was so important to defeat the fascist regime of Hirohito's Japan. Well, yeah, when you look at what happened during World War II, we can, I guess, agree that us winning it uh, really changed the course of the world. If we, we would have lost that war, we didn't get involved in that war, the world would be a lot different now, wouldn't it be? Oh, my God, Tommy, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, without America, you would have a monument to Hitler on every corner in Western Europe, mm-hmm. uh, you know, major cities. And, and Japan was, I mean, if you can quantify evil, was even worse than Nazi Germany. They slaughtered 30 million people during their rule. They uh, controlled more people, 600 million to Hitler's 450 million. And the fascist totalitarian dictates of both of these regimes, Hitler and Hirohito's, was absolutely draconian, xenophobic, racist, and it would have been a dark cloud over uh, the vast swaths of the world had we not got involved and helped Russia and England defeat, you know, Germany, and then if we hadn't gotten involved, I mean, Britain did play a little bit of a role, but we were the primary, uh, you know, force in the Pacific to bring down Hirohito's Japan. So you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ensured democracy for Japan, ensured democracy for Western Europe. We destroyed uh, Hitler and Hirohito and provided a more stable world. And so, yes, uh, the world in many respects uh, owes us a debt of gratitude for all the supplies that we gave, uh, you know, our allies, especially Russia, mm-hmm. and all the uh, men that we sent into harm's way to defeat these evil regimes. Yeah, it really is incredible, that, that whole uh, situation there. My parents, who are still alive, they're 90 and 91, 
Uh, they talked to me about back then and how, you know, they lived in Brooklyn. They had to pull the shades at night, and it was a different time, and everything was rationed. So people think that, uh, you know, they're going through rough times now. No, it was nothing like going through uh, the times of World War II. I guess we can agree on that as well, right, Brian? Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, this is what's so remarkable about this generation. You know, mm-hmm. they just come that, that fought and won this war. Uh, they had come through the Great Depression. They didn't have hardly anything. And then they had a direct threat to our, our democracy. I mean, Asia was being choked off by Japan, and then all of Europe was being cut off and then, you know, overthrown by Hitler. And it would have affected us dramatically had we just remained isolationist. In some respects, the world also has a debt of gratitude to Japan for attacking us at Pearl Harbor, Mm -hmm. because that awoke the giant, Mm -hmm. uh, to be metaphorical here, and got us focused internationally and how important it is to realize that no man's an island. Every, every nation is intertwined with one another, and mm-hmm. if we let one evil go uh, you know, uh, unchecked, it can start a virus that spreads across the world. And it was a tough time, absolutely. There was incredible sacrifices that were done. And so you're right. When people complain about gas prices and inflation right now, which are indeed things we need to focus on and try to find solutions to these problems, but it's nothing like having a threat of Hitler and uh, Hirohito taking over the world. Although we do have some of these petty dictators still we got to deal with, like Xi Jinping, Kim Jong Un, mm-hmm. and Putin. Putin mm-hmm. and uh, Kim Jong Un are petty. Xi Jinping is a powerful force, but we still got bad actors that we have to take care of. Yeah, and uh, I would imagine that you know you go back then, and you're right about that. People don't realize that we had a hands-off policy when it came to World War II back then. We just didn't want to get involved with the war. Correct. Uh, and it's sad. I mean, you look at, you know, Japan starting in 1927 is starting to spread its evil regime all over China. Mm-hmm. You know, and we hear about the rape of Nanking of 19, you know, 37, 38. No one does anything. We had Americans there on the ground seeing, you know, the hundreds of thousands of people being slaughtered by the Japanese and, you know, the tens of thousands of women being raped left and right. And that's just one city out of many that Japan did this to, Hong Kong, Canton, Beijing. You know, they all could be called rapes of these cities. And we did nothing. And then, of course, Nazi Germany, they remilitarize the Rhineland. They take over Austria. They take over Czechoslovakia. We do nothing. It's called appeasement, and it does not work, just like with Putin. Mm-hmm. We let him do his stuff in Georgia. We let him do his stuff in Crimea. We let him do his, all his chaos in eastern Ukraine. And look, he just wants more and more and more. So isolationism does not work. And World War II really taught us that. But you're right. Mm -hmm. We were isolationists to the core and did not want to get involved because we saw the bloodshed of World War I. We got involved and we're saying, hey, it didn't work. So why are we going to get involved again? Let, Let Europe deal with its own problems. But then we realized when we got attacked at Pearl Harbor, that we couldn't do that. And luckily for, for the world to some degree, we still weren't going to get involved with Nazi Germany. But four days later, Hitler decided to declare war against us in a weird alliance with Japan. And that brought us then in full force to fight Nazi Germany, which thank God we did, because had we let them go a few more years, we may be talking about seven or eight or nine million Jews who were slaughtered yeah. by the Nazis and not six million. And we may have heard 
not 30 million Asians, but maybe 40 to 50 million Asians that the Japanese slaughtered who were innocent. Mm-hmm. So it was good we got involved when we did, and we should have got involved much earlier. Isolationism is a horrible political policy. Yeah. All right, so i got to ask you, why is there a uh, controversy surrounding Woody's uh, medal? Why should there be any controversy regarding that? Well, you know, he, he got it fair and square, no doubt, because uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the, 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 the president signed off on it. And when a president signs off on a Medal of Honor, you got it. But here's the, here's the controversy that I was not expecting to find. Um, a Medal of Honor is one of the most vetted medals mm-hmm. that the military has. You have to go through all your chains of command before it gets to the president, and they have to sign off on it. Well, when it got up to the head of the Marine Corps – Uh, Fleet Marine Force Commander, General Roy Geiger, uh, and also to the Commandant of the Marine Corps, the head of the Marine Corps, they saw a lot of problems with the evidence. And General Geiger conferred with his next level of authority, and that was Fleet Admiral Chester Nimitz and his board, and said, hey, look, we look at these sample citations for Woody and the the initial endorsement letter, but yet we look at the affidavits supporting it, uh, and the evidence is not there. There's something wrong here. And Chester Nimitz agreed with uh, General Geiger that they needed to stop Woody's package and not push it uh, further. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had one person that they thought could help rectify the situation and give more clarity uh, for the evidence, and that was Woody's platoon commander, Lieutenant Howard Chambers. So they wrote him and said, hey, you trained with Woody for six months. You were with him the day that he did all his acts. Please substantiate everything that's in the endorsement letter because we don't have the affidavits to support it. Well, this platoon leader, not once, but twice, refused to answer General Geiger. He refused to endorse his own Marine, showing that there were some serious problems with this, uh, uh, this, this case, this package. And so um, they told the Secretary of the Navy, under no circumstances do you take this package and put it before Ernst King and the president. Mm-hmm. It's, something's wrong. Well, Secretary of the Navy was getting pressure from President Truman to get a live Medal of Honor recipients to the Rose Garden for a major you know, celebration that was apolitical, you know, all these Medal of Honor recipients to get their awards, and there mm-hmm. were three outstanding cases. Woody was one of them. Right. Well, eventually the pressure was so great from the White House that Secretary of Navy Forrestal – pulled it away from Geiger and Nimitz and fast-tracked it in front of uh, Truman and then got the medal approved. So it's the only medal I've documented from Iwo Jima Medal of Honor, and there was 27 of them, and I've looked at 20 of the, uh, the case studies, that did not get the Commandant of the Marine Corps and Admiral Nimitz and the Fleet Marine Force Commander, Roy Geiger, to sign off on it. Mm. Uh, so there was a broken chain of command. Had it been left to the chain of command, they would not have most likely awarded it to Woody, and political pressure pulled it away and pushed it through. It's the most messed up Medal of Honor process that Commandant of the Marine Corps, Charles Krulak, the 31st Commandant of the Marine Corps, because I went to him for guidance and advice, he said it's the most messed up Medal of Honor process he had ever seen. Wow. So that's the controversy. Very interesting. This is flame, th- a flamethrower, very interesting book here. Uh, where can people get it? 
Um, you know, people can go to my website, uh, brianmarkrig.com, and see information about all my books on, on World War II. You know, speaking of your, your, your background, my, um, my first book is uh, people really like, Hitler's Jewish Soldiers, and that's mm-hmm. what I'm known for in World War II. But, you know, people can find all my books and Flamethrower on Amazon easily, and there's three uh, versions of it. There's a hardback, there's a Kindle, and there's an audio uh, version. So if uh, people want to buy it, they can go to Amazon and get it right away. Sounds great. Brian Mark Rigg, Ph.D., is the author of Flamethrower. Thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, good luck with the book. It sounds great. Hey, thank you, uh, Tommy, uh, so much for having me on your show. Uh, My pleasure. You're listening to The Tommy G Show. We'll be right back.